Welcome to Practice Freedom. What if you could hang out with owners and founders from all sorts of healthcare private practices, having rich conversations about their successes and their failures, and then take an insight or two to inspire your own growth? Each week on Practice Freedom, we take an in-depth look at how to get the most out of both the clinical side and the business side of the practice, get the most out of your people, and most of all, how to live the healthy life that you deserve. I'm Mark Henderson Leary. I'm a business coach and an entrepreneurial operating system implementer. I have a passion that everyone should feel in control of their life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. Part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations in order to make the biggest impact in your practice and ultimately live your best life. Let's get started. Welcome back to Practice Freedom. It's me again, Mark. How you doing? Got a good, interesting, fast-paced conversation. Had just a few minutes to get with Dr. Tisha Rowe and talk about her entrepreneurial journey. And um, I think it's an interesting contrast to a lot of other conversations. Uh, before I get into that, to what that was like, just a quick reminder, trying not to belabor the point, but I, d- I don't want anybody stuck if it's avoidable. If you are having trouble visualizing what the first step looks like, how you're going to unpack the, these next things if you feel like there's too much burden on you to be accountable to all things in the practice, in the business, he doesn't need to be that way. The first step in the process is to implement a business operating system. My operating system of choice is EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. And if you would like to know whether it makes sense or not to start with that for you, happy to walk you through that. The idea is simple, to create clear vision for the organization, to create traction, which is accountability for the organization and create a healthy organization. Everybody loves to attend, to be there. You love pulling up in the parking lot, and so does everybody else, and you're there to heal people, and everybody is feeling privileged to do that. So if you want to know more about that, please reach out to me at practicefreedom.com slash schedule, and we can talk about whether that makes sense for you or not. So back to Dr. Tisha Rowe. Interesting conversation. The absolutely archetypical entrepreneur, except in healthcare form, which is not as common as I hope it to be one day. So a couple of things about that. You know, this might not be you. Please don't compare yourself to her. Certainly not wholesale because she is going full-time. You know, you'll hear her. She's TikToking. She's she's seeing patients. She's leading the business. She's raising money. She's doing these things, you know, really 100 miles an hour. And she's got that energy. She She's wired to do that. Now, obviously, even she's going to run out of capacity to do that at some point. And no one seems to be holding that illusion because it's a bit of a sprint mindset. But I I want you thinking about all the things that she talks about. One of the most important aspects of this is the three roles. See how she is thinking about the three roles of individual healer versus visionary leader versus that integrator slash business manager who runs the business. And we have a conversation, albeit brief, about that. And so just thinking about this is the competition to some extent, this is the future. And I mean, luckily it's not so uh, cutthroat out there. In fact, it's not really, it's not very cutthroat at all. For those people who take this very seriously, she's running, I should have said this in the beginning, she's running a couple of different things. She's the main thing we talk about is her honeycomb healthcare, honeycomb clinic rather, which is a co-working space for basically, you know, doctors. It's this, imagine individual offices where people can set up for part-time and, and or near full-time access to 
the clinical facility. So having to assign a full-time lease and all the things that go with that. So it's super powerful, except for accelerating those early stage healthcare providers all with all sorts of specialties and disciplines. So very powerful in that sense. But thinking about how she is so aggressively inventing and leveraging and trying new things, that's great. And if that inspires you and that's your thing, but it doesn't have to be that way in, in healthcare across the board. A lot of times it's just about getting very clear on what you do, do it well, do it consistently and tell that story. And oftentimes that's a game changer by itself. So I just want to make sure that contrast is clear. With that, I think my intro is almost as long as the entire interview. Hope I didn't uh, slow the momentum down. Please give us feedback along the way if this is helpful or not. Please dive in and listen to Dr. Tisha Rowe. Tisha Rowe, it's so great to have you here. Dr. Tisha Rowe, would you be offended if I just called you Tisha? I would not be offended. Would you tell me? If you... <laughs> I, I would because I, I feel that in certain environments and situations, I've had to check people, but this is not that type of environment. It's two colleagues having a conversation so no, but I'm, I'm not a non-confrontational person. Because <laughs> so, I rock the line a lot. I, I coach a lot of leaders. And you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm confused half the time because I'm trying to, everybody's just sort of a peer most of the time. I'm trying to sort of level the playing field of managers and leaders and physicians and healthcare providers. And sometimes mm -hmm. I, I wonder which side of the line I'm on of creating a level playing field for the room and dis disobeying like cultural norms of the community and, and maybe disrespecting people. So it's, I, it's really growing up. I was always sort of like, Hey, they're just people too. And then, and that got later in life. I'm like, ah, I'm going to show a little respect. How about that? <laughs> so, uh, so, but like in, when this leadership coaching thing, it's, it's always kind of gray, but I'm excited. This conversation, we met at a, at a conference a couple months ago. I don't know what the time is flying. And and you're doing some, it some is. amazing, fun stuff in all sorts of healthcare arenas, particularly the, the healthcare co-working space. But one of the, one of the kind of questions that I was curious of, look, you know, looking at the things you've done, what's your favorite job in healthcare so far? My favorite job in healthcare, I would say, is being a doctor. And I know that that's what we went into medicine to do. And people look at me and they're like, Tisha, you're our boss. I admire you because you've built this company and that's so amazing. But my favorite part of my job is still connecting with patients every day. I can have a tremendous amount of stress from just being an entrepreneur, being a business owner. But the minute I step through that door, it is no longer about me. It's about them. And I think taking the weight of entrepreneurship off when I enter that room and just focusing on my patient, it just gives me a sense of relief. And my patients are funny and, and they're real and we talk and we laugh and we, you know, they cry. And, you know, that is still my favorite part of medicine. So one of the things I talk a lot about with my clients and on the show is the identity choice of a physician leader. And my model is mm -hmm. that there's three roles. There's the visionary leader, entrepreneurially speaking, which is sort of archetypically, you know, the seen visionary leader, like the Steve Jobs, like whomever you know, you know, like Clive Fields, it's sort of visible out there. Then you've got like that business manager who understands the P&L, hires and fires a leadership team, makes sure the trains run on time. And then there's this third role, which I think is oftentimes under discussed, and that is the individual healer role. 
And it, the, the challenge underpinning that is there is this disillusionment that happens when one realizes that it's not one role and that to trying to make all three happen at the same time is a path to self-destruction. And you have to start choosing which one or two or one and a half you're going to be able to do. So you, know, you just sort of described right there the, the context switch between individual healer and visionary leader, possibly having to run the business at the same time. So to sort of dis- describe for me what that journey has been like for you, having to balance those. You nailed it on the head when you said you can't do all three at the same time, right? And I often, I would struggle with identity. Like, am I a doctor or a business person? Because the the two, once you get into medicine, seem so divided, right? Because doctors, we always are supposed to be altruistic, put everyone first, take care of everyone's needs. And business is, it doesn't make money and does it make sense? And I came to the conclusion, I am a business person that went to medical school. Mm. And because of that, it has allowed me to solve problems in medicine in a way that non-physicians cannot solve. And I say that because I started thinking about business when I was a kid. I would look at empty lots and tell my mom, this is what I think should be built on that lot. And she's like shaking her head, like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) So at this point, you know, when you say like, how do you, how do you do that? How do you juggle all of these roles? You have to like focus on one thing at a time, but sometimes that switch is minute to minute. Sometimes that switch is hour to hour and sometimes that switch is day to day, right? I'll be doing virtual visits and if a patient no-shows, I'm going straight to my email and I'm going down that list. Okay, and that's what you said, the the operations leader, right? But I'm also thinking about, okay, where do you want honeycomb in 10 years? I, I can't turn that part of me off ever, even if I want to. But I think you do learn to switch back and forth and the minute that patient pops up, I got to go back to healer. And when that screen mm-hmm. clicks off, I got to go back to operations. And, and somewhere in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., here comes the visionary thinking about where are we going to go next? You know, so it's, it's some parts you control and some parts it's just always there. So in the evolution, 10 years from now, Honeycomb, what roles or role is the, is the highest impact for you? To me, the highest impact role, and I've had no doubt about this whatsoever, is philanthropy. I've always wanted to like be wildly successful. I, I want to be a billionaire, but I've always wanted that to give back, right? Because I see the billionaires and I'm like, wow, if I had a billion, like this is what I would do with those funds. So 10 years from now, IPO, publicly traded, killing it on the uh, stock exchange. I want to be able to implement systems in healthcare where more people have access to healthcare. Healthcare is easy. It's the thing you want to click on because we've made it cool, easy, accessible, trendy, where people want to invest in their health. Like they see the long-term payoff of that. They see the benefits. And I'll just give a a quick example, if you will allow me. I had a 36-year-old patient today who had knee pain. And she said, you know, they recommended this surgery, but I'm really scared of surgery because I think I might die. And I said, Mm. well, 
a complication of surgery is dying. And I'm glad that you're young, but you understand that. But let's talk about your life 20 years from now. And if you don't get this knee surgery, you are overweight today. You are going to be more overweight. And in 20 years, you may be diabetic, hypertensive, and overweight. And now no one wants to do that surgery and you're living with knee pain forever, right? And I don't think we do a very good job in healthcare of just educating people on what happens down the road. So such a good example of what you're describing. The... You sound like the visionary leader, like of those three buckets, like 10 years from now, five years from now, the visionary leader, obviously patient care is going to be a highly informed, uh, informing part of your relationship to the extent that it possibly can. But you're not going to make that vision real by 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, patient visits. You're going to have to do things, build relationships, teach people things, build something that creates a space for that. And so how does how does Honeycomb and your other things, how does that make that more possible? So first, let's go back so we can go forward. When I started my first clinic in 2014, solo practitioner, doing everything on my own, as I continued in practice, I would see people start a practice, close a practice, start a practice, close a practice. And it broke my heart to see colleagues go out of business. And I thought, man, why is it so hard? Like we're doctors, we're not stupid, contrary to (laughs) business people's beliefs. We can't be that bad at business. And I realized it's really the cost and the overhead expense, right? Doing solo practice is very expensive. And that's where I came up with the co-working space. So to your point, I would never get where I want to go based on a fee-for-service patient, seeing patients every day. But if I can take real estate, right? And healthcare. And now I am a landlord to my colleagues, not just in Houston, but all over the country. And I'm providing, I'm putting doctors together in one space. I am making money, right? I've now had real estate investments that are appreciating over time. And I'm collecting rent from my colleagues who need a place to practice. Now you have that win-win. And once you rent space to someone, you automatically are able to identify their other needs. Okay, now I've rented you a medical space, but I realize everyone in this building needs supplies, right? So now I can order your supplies and we will collect a fee on that. We can do your labs. So healthcare is extremely profitable, a trillion dollar industry, not just because of patient visits, it's all the other things that doctors use. So I'm starting with space, but our long-term vision for honeycomb is that doctors can, like bees, come to this comb to be fed, but hey, everybody is going to eat together. And whether it's $5 off labs or $10 off supplies or the rent, when you take all of that together, now you have the ability to build an empire but do it in a way that you're actually helping doctors, not just profiting off them the way most people do and creating a space that's nurturing for them to build a practice. So that's the big picture. That's how, how we do it and we make it together. So, I mean, there's a lot in there. So what do you see? You're, sounds like the, the first part of the process is to de-risk the startup a little bit. 
Like you're adding something like we can get you started. It's a lot more manageable. You can figure some things out when the, when the stakes are a lot lower. And by adding that value, that's a profit model for you because you're doing it in scale. So that's that, that works out great. Where does it go? I mean, I guess there's a million questions that are kind of all stepping on each other, but for me in my mind, but why, why does this, why is it so helpful? What is What's the, you know, why, why do this? I think it's helpful because healthcare has become, corporate medicine has become patients not choosing a doctor, seeing a different doctor every time they go in. It's disconnected. It's more like a, a factory than what we did, why, why I went into this to heal, right? And so the big picture why this is so important is because I believe when doctors are in private practice and can control the way they practice medicine, care is delivered in a better way. Like that is why this is so necessary. But I also think healthcare is extremely inefficient, right? So if I have a clinic with 10 rooms and one doctor needs a room one day a week, another needs a doctor five days a week, I really want to turn healthcare co-working into a efficiency model where every room is booked every day and we use technology to do that. So we're getting ready to launch the Honeycomb app. It's already been submitted. And just the way you click on Uber for a ride, I want a doctor who wants to find a place to practice to be able to go to my Honeycomb app and say, I need a half a day in Houston once a week. And my app will say, there's an office here. So it starts with me owning this physical space, but eventually I'm going to empower other doctors who have their own space to also be a part of my honeycomb model and be a part of a larger subleasing uh, network. So what are you seeing happening when I've got a bunch of different healthcare providers roaming around the same halls? What I see now and I love is synergy, right? Because when we were in residency, you knew when you went into that doctor's lounge, you got you started to meet people, you know, okay, that's a cool, you know, doctor, you cross paths, you see him in the hallway. And we actually have no offices here. So there's no going to sit in your office by yourself. There are workstations and there's a doctor's lounge. So with all of these doctors crossing paths in the same place, we've created an internal referral network. So I'm sending, I, primary care, that's one thing I learned from the first job I had. They said, you, you are the captain of the ship. You send patients to the specialist and your role is important. So I look forward to people knowing, okay, in this building, in this space, we have nephrology, we have cardiology, we have PMNR, we have primary care. Why would I send across the, the city when that is in this building? So with all of these doctors in the same space, we have created that network. And it's the reason large corporations are kicking individual doctors' butts because patients love that. They love that convenience. They don't want to go to 10 different offices. And oftentimes when it comes to choosing between seeing 10 doctors in 10 different spaces because they're in private practice, the patient opts for convenience. You know, 
If I go to Methodist, Memorial Hermann, Kelsey, everything's in one place. So I'm doing the same thing for doctors in private practice by creating that cohesive internal network. So that reminds me that, you know, it's been said for a long time. Many people, the more cynical say, you know, private practice is dead. I would never encourage my kids to go into, into the profession. It's terrible. I have opinions on, on what that's like. I mean, clearly institutional is strong. And, and mm-hmm. the vast majority is where people end up. Mm-hmm. And the old model, the healthcare 1.0 approach, you know, the hang a shingle, I'm a doctor, somebody, you know, managing the desk, and that's the whole business. And, and there's obviously everything in between. What do you see in terms of enthusiasm for doctors, physicians wanting to do something that, that matters? I think that deep down, we all want to do something that matters, but a lot of doctors feel like they have to choose as they they should, right, themselves and choosing yourself sometimes means I have to work for a big corporation because I am the breadwinner. I provide the health insurance for my family. And if I take this private practice risk, which everyone told me sucks and everyone told me I'm going to fail, I have my my family depending on me and not just your immediate family. Oftentimes for first generation physicians, it's your external family, your extended family as well. But I think that this next generation of doctors, they're super smart, like they're influencers. They're they're making more money on TikTok, you know, than their <laughs> med student salary yeah. before they even get to being an attending. So this is a different type of yeah. physician coming out. And I think because they figured out that seeing patients is not the only way I can make money, they're going to be more likely to be entrepreneurs because they realize this is one revenue stream for me. It's not my only revenue stream. And I can do this and I can vacation and I can have fun and I can still be a doctor. And I think that that new wave of physician entrepreneurs, they're seeing people like me, they're taking notes and they're going to like exceed anything I've done. And that makes me excited to know that they're coming behind me and, and doing it bigger and better. And so I do think that I don't think private practice is dead I think what's going to happen is a squeeze, right? Corporations are squeezing doctors out of private practice. They're making it purposely difficult to be in private practice because they know that that is the gold, right? And for the few of us, it won't be a lot who survive. Then you become, you name your price because patients are tired of this. You know, I can never see a doctor. You know, I can... I I don't know who I'm going to see when I go there. And more people are deciding like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. I want one doctor. I want my doctor. DPC, we're seeing people are willing to pay for it. And I think the sad part for those who choose to work for clinics in the long term is your fate is never in your hands. At any given point that that large institution decides that they are going to lay off a bunch of doctors and replace them with nurse practitioners or PAs who I have no problem with because it's it's a numbers thing. You have no choice. You, you have no other options. You have zero control. So when I decided to open a practice, 
I'm controlling my journey. I, I don't have to worry about walking into work one day and learning, hey, guys, we got to cut cost. Yeah. And you know yeah, what's yeah. the easiest way to do it? Cut you. <laughs> Thank you for teaching the, everyone else how to do your job. That was so nice of you. See you later. And it's happened. Right? Yeah, I mean, you're touching, <laughs> touching on so many points. I mean, that's so much of the entrepreneurial journey is that uh, desire to not be dependent upon somebody else. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of th- you, things you said, I do, it does appear from my vantage point that that solo practitioner that I, in, in what you said kind of brought this word to my mind, the isolated practitioner. If you're isolated, you're, you are very much at risk. Mm-hmm. But what I'm seeing is that, you know, I believe that the number one core value of, uh, of America is not freedom, it's entrepreneurship, which is a mm-hmm. form of freedom. In my yeah. opinion, and I and I think we're just wired to take the broken pieces we've got and make something out of it. And I think we just sort of produce people. We immigrants bring a very aggressive entrepreneurial spirit, and that combination. There's always people popping up saying, "I'll fight the fight, and we're going to do something great." And I, I'll do this with all ignorance and 100 percent commitment. And I see, I still see it. I just don't see that we can't. You, this idea of private practice being dead, but we're still producing physicians and healthcare providers and a certain percentage of them are just popping out entrepreneurs. They don't know any other way. They can't stop themselves. And we're having these things come up where uh, you know, I can run a great practice. I, I can be the, the most s- successful opt- optometry practice in the region, four or five, six, seven sites up to 50, I know, you know, hundreds or whatever, or yep. I can be a multi-location, whatever, in dermatology, I know, in a multi-location, whatever it is, we can turn this into this business that can be led by entrepreneurs with just, of course, medical school and all that, that industry is intentionally or otherwise kept business experience out. I mean, you're sort of wired to be entrepreneurial and take risks, but the business knowledge that it, that is required to run a business, most of it is not unknown. It is well-documented and understood, and it's just not in the hands of those people. And so if we can get that in the hands of these people uh, who have that entrepreneurial desire, we can create these well-connected, scalable, mid-sized organizations, small and mid-sized organizations that are totally transforming things like you're doing and doing something highly innovative, the co-working space. Because I think it's just an interesting business model to think of because you know, it's, it's like a little independent WeWork, you know, it sounds so cute. And you're like, well, no, we've got mm-hmm. the whole, whole ecosystem of legit full-scale healthcare. They're doing, doing really great stuff. And there's so much opportunity in healthcare space. And that is this wide gap between the, the least valuable healthcare contributor that's out there, whatever they are, whatever you think it is, is still healing people. It's still amazing yeah. what, what's going on. It's super high value. And the, the, the inefficiency in the marketplace of, of how, how well-branded people are, how well we communicate with our best customer, who even is our best customer, how, and how do we serve them is so in, in, inefficient and immature, relatively speaking. And so we've got so much ground to work with. Now, that creates this sort of picture that, you know, man, we can close the gap if we just got our brand figured out, if we just marketed to more, a little, fo- little more focused and we just got more efficient with our process, it would be amazing. And that's all true in concept. But there's so many levers to pull because there's so few people who've got it efficient <laughs> that there's a million levers that you got to figure out. And it feels like you're trying everything all at once. And, it, and it's, it's a lot to, to, to manage. So I, I love that, you know, that you're doing this with this novel way to approach it. Uh, you know, where does it, where does it go from here? I am looking forward to expanding the clinic to other cities. The next stop is Miami. I am from Miami 
And I've already identified a location. I am uh, recruiting investors to invest in this new honeycomb clinic in Miami and super excited. I opened uh, Instagram today and it says TD Jakes is joining major developer to create affordable housing in Miami Gardens. And my next clinic is going to be in Miami Gardens. So my first thing on my to-do list this morning was find TD Jakes, right? And so the next step is expansion. We've built it here in Houston. Our patients are happy. Our providers are renting the space. We still have room for growth and we are growing. But I started this journey with a goal of having 10 honeycomb clinics and then going for IPO. So next stop is clinic number two. And I also plan to franchise. And so I have a couple doctors interested in franchising the model. Probably five years ago, I went to the International Franchise Association Conference and it was just so mind-blowing. Like create a concept and then sell it to others and make revenue on it indefinitely. I have a friend in Canada. He is was a personal trainer, created a franchise for personal training and exited, sold a master franchise, 50 locations, and then retired in his 30s. And so I want to expand. I want to franchise and eventually I want to go public. That's next. So, you know, without kind of creating a whole other episode of the podcast, <laughs> what entrepreneurially, the 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 task is take the uncertain and conquer it with conviction and and, and handle the curveballs and and make something that lasts. You know, looking forward, what what are the what's the next big obstacle that you're like, man, how am I gonna how am I gonna get past that? I think I shared it in the conference and I, I'll never stop saying it. The biggest obstacle is funding, right? People look at us as physicians, as just doctors, and they're like, oh my God, you're a great doctor. I want to be your doctor. I'm like, no, write me a $100,000 check. Like I didn't come to you (laughs) to be your doctor, right? And they're like, oh, like she's, write a check. Because at the end of the day, none of this works if you don't have that startup capital. If you want to do something at this level and compete at the level of the clinics that are here dominating in Houston, it takes funding and it takes a lot of funding. And fundraising is a full-time job. So I would say that is the uh, next obstacle. I wake up and I think about it probably every single day. How do I find that investor that's the right person that is ethical, has integrity, sees my vision and wants to partner with me to take this everywhere. And so until I find that person is brick by brick, one investor at a time. But if we had a infusion of capital, we've already proved this model. There's no prove it. We've proven it. Now, now we need the funding to grow it. And that's my biggest thing coming in here eight hours a day and then still finding that room to have meetings, have calls. I'm speaking at a networking group called Quest next month, you know, carving out that time to put on the the business hat, right? And and get in there and go get the money. And so that's my, the biggest obstacle facing me. I could do medicine with my eyes closed, but 
going out hopefully and you don't. really hopefully you're patient with your eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do, but you know, it's, it's it's we've done it. I'm glad I hit the ten year in practice mark, and yeah. and it's easy, right? You know, every patient is a challenge, but raising capital is a different beast. And that that's my obstacle. And you described, you know, a lot of the the time constraint and the role constraint. You're still really in, you know, the three core roles that you're going to have to eventually start shaving away. What do you see as the next key hire? If my neck, I have a amazing executive assistant, but what I really need is a COO, right? Yeah, that's uh, right. Not someone that I am delegating tasks to, but someone who can really oversee the day-to-day operations. Like, I don't know how many times a day it's Dr. Rowe, Dr. Rowe, Dr. Rowe, right? People, the one thing I instill in my son is if you want to be successful in life, you solve problems. And a lot of people don't know how to solve problems. They see a problem and they come to their boss and they say, oh my God, I found this problem. And I'm like, solve the problem. Let's talk through how we solve the problem. And a good COO would be a buffer to me and the 20 times a day, Dr. Rowe, there's a problem which would allow me to focus on scaling and growing the business and securing more capital. Well, that certainly fits into my experience. And that's the the thing I talk to my clients and speak on this show a lot about, that polarity between the visionary leader and that integrator, which is a a terminology that's part of the system I teach. And integrator is just a, a, a word that describes that business leader who is the opposite sort of energy of the visionary who wants more and is very impatient and emotionally motivated, understands the the nuances of everything and just needs to take us into the future. Where that integrator is the one who has the same capacity, but sort of focused the other way. We can only do so much in the time. We're going to make sure these things happen. And and it's sure there's emotions in this, but I'm going to look at the data first and we're going to make decisions based on how much money we've got left. And we're going to stick to the budget and we're going to follow the plan and we're going to say no to lots of stuff. Otherwise, the mission's in jeopardy. And the number one thing that that I see organizations do leading up to this is under horsepowering that that seat because they just feel like it, oh it's the next level up on on the um, on the executive assistant and uh, rarely is that actually the case when you really mm-hmm. hand yeah. over an executive assistant is fantastic but it's more of what I call a responsible party somebody who does at a very high level all the things you tell them to do. You need yep. an accountable party in that seat, somebody who can have, have the levers and understand they own it and that you do not need to tell them what to do. They understand the scope and that they're, they're able to carry the whole initiative forward and they will, they will be able to figure out what it is that they need to do. And it is a quantum leap of mindset to go from a very capable EA to <clears throat> even the most junior of sort of integrator type. And, and, and when it gets into integrators in large organizations, they're the, some of the most highly compensated you know, they're the, they're the general managers, they're the, they're the presidents, they're the COOs, like you said, depending on the size of the organization. So it's, it's the real deal. And so I'm excited to, to hear you on that journey to find that, that right number two, because that is the difference between breaking through the ceiling and not for really every company that I've ever worked with. At some point, that is the decision that needs to be made. And, and when you get that right, it's, it's magical. All right, number two, if you're listening, find me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah, sure, make the connection. So I know our time is is constrained, so I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. Have we, is there anything else we need to make sure, what do we leave out? What do we leave out from this conversation? I think one of the most important things that we don't talk about enough is mental health. And it's something that overlaps from all of my roles, right? As the healer, I have to think about the mental health of my patients. 
as the day-to-day operations manager, I have to, to take care of my mental health so that I'm leading in a way that motivates people, energizes people, despite all of my stress. And as a visionary, you know, I have to make sure that I'm in this for the long run. And I just want to say to, you know, anyone listening that's maybe struggling with your mental health, we live in a social media world where you have to come up and show you know, that positive people want to see that things are great. And, I, and I'm excited. I believe the best is yet to come. But we all have good days and bad days and know that this is not an easy journey. And when you have those bad days, like we're just like you, we have them too. You may see me online doing my funny TikToks or, you know, doing things, talking about my business and my son. And But I have bad days too. And I just want there to be less uh, stigma about mental health and people being able to say that that this is hard. It doesn't mean you're not capable. It doesn't mean that you're a bad leader doing a bad job, but but this is a hard journey, but it's a worthwhile journey and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. That's 100% agree with all that. Given what's going on, given your journey, what is your passionate plea for entrepreneurial healthcare leaders right now? That we have to stick together. There is two much ego in medicine. And we're all trying to do, we're all along parallel paths and we need to join together. I want to see doctors in Houston link, uh, doctors in California, doctors in every major city. If you don't have a tribe of entrepreneurs, you need to find your tribe not just to lean on, but also to make money together, right? I had a couple of dermatologists come. They're like, we're starting our business. You know, I send them patients every day and I text them, sent you a patient, sent you a patient because I know how it feels to be starting out and wonder, am I going to make it? And if all I can do is help feed someone at the beginning of their journey. So there are days where you're going to be the person that's pushing and there are days that you're going to need to be pushed. But if we are going to survive, we have to find each other and be intentional every single day to say, who that's in this same boat as me, can I help? Can I get a service from, right? If you are an entrepreneur and you need a doctor, you need to be going to a doctor in private practice too, not to the big boxes, not to the, you know, urgent cares owned by the hospital. So we are in this together. We need to stick together. We need to make money together and we need to take care of each other. And I do host a business conference every year. So I'll be sharing information about that in the upcoming weeks. And honestly, that's what it's about. Meeting other, it's called Boss Doctors Conference, meeting other doctors that want to do more than medicine, don't feel guilty about it. And, you know, I hope that those who are available to be here in Houston at uh, the University of Houston and just come network and meet other people that think like you, you're not, you're a unicorn, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And let's make sure we get that link to, you can tell it to us now or get it in the show notes. Get that to me in the, in the and information. It, it's so we boss, can... bossdoctors.com and I will also okay. send it to you. Person, Perfect. We'll get that going. Let's see what else we cover. Oh, how does somebody keep in touch with you or find out what's going on in your world? What's the easiest way to know where you're at? Absolutely. The honeycombclinic.com is where if you want any information, either as a doctor 
or patient, if you want to reach out to me individually, LinkedIn would be a great way uh, to reach out to me. Send me a message. I'll definitely respond. Patients who just want to follow my journey, definitely check out my Facebook page, Tisha Rowe, MD. Super awesome. I'm so grateful for you carving out some time to, I know you got 18,000 things going on. And so just sharing your story is super helpful. And we covered a bunch of stuff in there. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm uh, grateful for you for doing this and giving us a voice, right? We get up every day and we fight the good fight. But if nobody knows it's happening, hey, it doesn't make the difference. So thank you for giving us a voice and a platform. Well, you know, I'm, I appreciate you saying that because one of the things that I find myself doing is making the case that, you know, we're underserving and it, Doctors and physician leaders of all healthcare types are massively underserved, and 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 there's so many obstacles to creating great outcomes, and it's and it's so solvable. We can do mm-hmm. it, and and there's a lot of suffering going on, and there's a lot of doctors who are leaving the industry and getting burned out, and it's mm-hmm. and there's a terrible dearth of of future healthcare professionals. And so like, that's the, that doesn't make sense. We need to take care of the ones we got. And so it's just so it's a privilege to keep finding more ways to help, but it is unintuitive because I think historically physicians, doctors, healthcare, people are just considered like they're fine. They're, they're making a ton of money. They're vacationing to five times a year and, and they make a billion dollars and, you know, and you know, no one's going to feel sorry for a physician or a, or a healthcare provider. And it's like, wait, 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 there's actually a lot of people who are suffering quite a bit. And they made a different choice that has, there's some money involved that they, that not everybody has access to, but they also paid for that privilege and and they suffered a lot and it's not going great. And so there's a, and everybody suffers when this isn't, when this doesn't work well, everybody wins when healthcare is efficient and we're healing people quickly. And the way you described, you know, helping each other out from doctor to doctor. Well, you know, who else wins on that? You know, those lost patients that are like, I don't know who to see next. They're like, oh, you should see mm-hmm. my friend. And I, they're great. They're just down the hall. And so we really are adding in all directions. And so it's just a, a powerful movement to be a part of. Entrepreneurial healthcare at this day and age seems like such a thing to say, like, it's the movement right now. But like, it really is. And it's it's really contagious. And it's really fun to think that we are helping you know, hundreds and thousands of, of private practice leaders run better businesses that are creating great outcomes, great healthcare, and great places to work for all kinds of healthcare providers, uh, whether they're, you know, direct com- providers or just support staff in some capacity. And, and it's just a, it's a real privilege. It absolutely is. More doctors on the Forbes list. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, that's our time. And uh, if you like this episode, please sh- uh, send us feedback in the links in the show notes. Share uh, and like and subscribe, all the things that go with that. Send us feedback if you don't like what we're talking about as well. You can send that in the SpeakPipe feedback. We take that feedback very seriously. But that's uh, for our time. Thank you, Dr. Tisha Rowe. And we will see you next time on Practice Freedom with me, Mark Henderson Leary. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs>